Hello everybody. What do you know about hunt subbing? If like me, the answer is woefully little, today is going to sort that out because you are listening to Vegan Talk with me, Anthony. Me, Kate. Me, Julie. Me, Carlos. Me, Mel. Welcome everyone, this is Vegan Talk and today we're talking about hunt sabbing. Yes, this episode was the brainchild of one of our listeners, Steve, who drew our attention to how little was getting reported, even in the vegan media, about the hunt saboteur movement and its ongoing actions. So Anthony and I are about to speak to these three sabs, past and present, to learn more about the movement some of its current challenges and campaigns and how to support it actively or from afar. And if I could just say also, I know absolutely nothing really about hunt subbing and really feel I'm too much of a scaredy pants to get involved. So I'm really, really looking forward to hearing all that you have to say. We're going to give you a quiz at the end, Kate, to see how much you've learned. Let's get straight into it. I suppose the first thing to address is is the most basic of, of terms. What is a hunt saboteur? I mean, Mel, are you happy to to start us off on this? Like, what's a hunt sub? Okay, um, a hunt saboteur is someone who essentially takes direct action against blood sports. And that will usually mean that you will go out on a Saturday or during the week to a hunt meet and try uh, as a group to save the life of a hunted animal. So very basically, it is it is simply that. It's about saving a life on the day, whether it be a fox, a hare, or whatever it is, from being hunted, terrorised and killed by a hunt. I think, obviously, we go into this further. I think now it's beginning to mean a lot more than that, especially as we reach, this, I think, a historic moment in the fight against blood sports in this country. But uh, but its purest form, it is a form of direct action in which a group of people come together in an organised way to save the life of a hunted animal. And I think that's probably the best technical term for a hunt sab. There is far more than that in terms of its pivotal role in the animal rights movement over over decades. And that's something we can maybe go on to later. But in terms of just a definition, it's saving the life, a group of people coming together to save the life of a hunted fox or hare on a given day. Well, that, that clarity is really useful. Thanks for that, Mel. I mean, again, pardon the stupid question, but why why is there a need for hunt saboteurs? There's always been a need for hunt saboteurs as long as there's been hunting, if you like. And I mean, hunting it has a history that, that stretches back over hundreds of years. But as I was reading recently, the, the, those people opposed to poster hunting have always existed as well. But in an organised form, and what we're talking about this evening, the hunt saboteurs, the need for them is simply because there is no justification for going out with a pack of hounds and terrorising an animal that that is in no way any match. There is no equality here. This is not a sport. This is not like football or tennis, two sides uh, of, of equal billing. This is one group of people, a pack of hounds, determined to get their kicks out of hunting, terrorising and killing one of these living animals. And I suppose for hunt saboteurs and hunt saboteurs association and all those people who take part in direct action to save animals, and this is something that should be common to all animal rights people and vegans alike, is that this desire to stop the suffering and to help these persecuted animals. But I think with hunt saboteurs, the big difference is is that it's almost always direct action. It's not particularly about handing out leaflets. We're not talking about dietary change to save these animals because, to be honest, being vegan isn't going to stop fox hunting. Uh, I don't mean that to sound patronising, but it isn't. If you want to save a hunted animal, you have got to physically go out and do it. These people do not listen to reason. They're not interested. Uh, And we know that because since 2004, since hunting was banned, Hunts have stuck two fingers up to the legislation and carried on. And that's because deep within their psyche, there is this desire to kill. Um, and, and any hunt saboteur will tell you that's come up and been close and personal with these people, that that's there in them. I suppose that it's very core, hunt saboteurs are driven by uh, a desire to stand between that mentality, the hunted animal, and do something to save the animal's life at its purest level. Obviously, um, in, in 2024, and especially with an election looming and the possibility that we may be able to put hunting to bed for good, hopefully. But I think up until 
that happens, there will always be a need for groups of people to stand up and defend individual animals from groups of basically psychotic people who want to cause them severe harm and suffering and terrorise them. And I think on a very basic level, all animal rights people have always understood that. That's been one of the strengths of, uh, of the Hunt Saboteurs movement, uh, not just on its own, but as a, as a driver for the whole animal rights movement. And we can go on to that again later, but, uh, but you know, I would say that um, the Hunt Saboteurs and their attitude and approach to using direct action to save animals has been absolutely pivotal in creating the movement we know and has become such a force nationally and globally now. Uh, And I don't want to underestimate that. I think it's that powerful a movement and and, and the ethos that drives it has been central since inception. I just wanted to say that unlike a lot of of the other things I get involved with and other activism that other vegans get involved with, I would say Hans Haring is the one that generally gets more support from the public. The majority of British public is against hunting with hounds and uh, and blood sports. So it's I wouldn't say it's an easy win because you know we we do still need direct action and to and to go out and as Mel said to actually physically do direct action to stop the hunt from actually killing the animals. But in terms of the general public support, there's nothing else I do vegan wise that has as much public support, which usually is around 75%. And the majority of the public, they don't need, you know, these could be meat eaters and people who support other kinds of animal cruelty, but hunting with hounds is seen by the general public as deplorable, regardless of people's diets or feelings towards animal rights and freedom. I'd like to know from each of you, actually, but maybe starting with Carlos, what led you to uh, become a hunt sab? And what's your story? I saw it on social media, uh, it happening. I couldn't believe it was true at first, which is, I guess, the general reaction that a lot of people have when I tell them about what I do on weekends. And they're like, "What? They do what with the, with hounds? No, that no, surely not. Surely that's illegal. Yeah, yeah, it's illegal. Okay, but why do they still do it? Yes, they still do it. So I couldn't believe what I was seeing on social media, and then I started researching, and uh, I wanted to get involved with some sort of activism, and because I'm a quite active outdoorsy person that just seemed to align with the kind of person I am. And uh, as you, as you said, you could not, Katie said, you could not get involved with it, but I was already used from, um, I don't know, doing, let's say left-wing activism. I was already used to being um, situations where I didn't feel super safe, but somehow was okay with doing them anyway. So I thought transabbing was just, just seemed to fit within the kind of person I am and my skill set and also, you know, availability and so on. And then I did my first few sabs and then kind of the the initial motivation to actually kind of stop the fox being killed, kind of, obviously that was great that I was helping to stop it, but also the camaraderie then took over and, you know, just, you know, hanging out on, hanging out over half the year every weekend with, uh, with some of the best people I've ever met. That kept me going as a hunter. Julie, what about you? What got you started? Well, I had started shouting at huntsmen and putting the fingers up at them from a very early age because every Boxing Day, my family used to visit an uncle of mine who lived somewhere where there was a hunt and we usually saw them en route. So I think probably from just about the age I could speak, (laughs) I was rolling down the car window and getting into trouble for yelling obscenities (laughs) at these people. Um, So later in life, um, when I became a long distance runner, I liked to use my running for good, for good purposes. It wasn't just about me, whatever, competing or winning things or whatever. I wanted to use it for good. So given that I was vegan, given that I was into doing direct action activist stuff of my own making on my own um it seemed a logical step to then move into hunt sabbing so a relative of mine so my sister told me about someone she knew of and she said that not only was he a hunt sab but he had stolen some beagles out of a laboratory and i immediately thought I need to get to know this person because I want to go and steal beagles out of a laboratory. So I Facebook stalked him 
and got in touch with them and I said, will you take me to nick some beagles or hunt stabbing or both? I don't mind which. And if he ignored me, because he must have thought, who is this nutter? Or maybe he thought I was some kind of undercover police person. But eventually he figured out that he did sort of know someone who knew me and that I was fairly sane and he took me hunt sabbing. So that was how I got started. And yes, it did come quite naturally to me because it did, the way I did it anyway, involved doing an awful lot of running long distances all day that, you know, it, I was playing to my strengths doing it. I love the fact that you're multitasking there. And um, I'd, I'd like to see the, the mini Julie yelling out the... <laughs> I love her. <laughs> oh. Okay, um, Mel, what what about you? How did how did you start? So I I suppose with Hunt Sabin, I I, I was around around about 1980, and I got I, I, I even as a kid I was a pool boy cruelty and uh, hunting, uh, absolutely pool boy. I didn't understand concepts of animal rights when I was little, but I I, I knew I hated cruelty. An injustice always did, always have done. And it was around 1980 I got involved with a local animal rights group in Northampton. And I started out doing um, anti-vivisection stuff mainly. It's, that's another issue that's always run through my life. But I remember going to a very early meeting in Northampton uh, in the very early 80s, a local animal aid group. And they sat there talking about doing the leafleting and the demos. And I was, that's great. I thought, that's great. But there was a guy sat opposite me in the hall, little hall, we kept looking at each other. I don't know what it was. Something crossed between us. It's almost like we knew. And as soon as the meeting was over, we just gravitated towards each other and said, I want to do something more. So do I. We decided we'd start going sabbing. And we didn't have any clue uh, what to do or how to do it. We just knew we wanted to do something more. And um, we basically got a couple of other recruits from the local college in town in Northampton and um, got an old van that's kept breaking down and started going out uh, to the Pikesley Hunt then uh, and um, and immediately felt this, oh, we, you've just, Carlos said it, uh, as well, and I, and I totally concur with him, that this camaraderie that we understood each other on this basic level, we wanted to do something directly to save animals' lives, not just talk about it or have meetings about it and do all the other stuff, which we all did, the leafs and everything, but we wanted to do something else. And and that's it. I, 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 we started going out. And as I said earlier at the time, you know, this was the early 1980s, the animal rights movement was growing fast. And it, there was a, an incredible feeling of energy around activism and direct action. Incredible feeling. I can't really describe it. Looking back, even now, it, it sends tingles through me. You know, the, the, the level of... Um, you know, passion that was there still to this day it has never left me. And um, and so, yeah, that's how I started. Is it, it, like I said, I met this one guy. We just looked at each other across the room and, and went to the pub after, and that was it. Yeah, we were off, and nothing was going to stop us. I mean, nothing was going to stop us. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. I love it. I'm feeling so inspired already. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for your, for your backstories. Let's let's talk practicalities then and what, what this looks like. Carlos, am, am I right in thinking you sab with the North London Hunt Sabs? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So what, what does a week look like? What does a weekend look like? Uh, well, the well, what's, we're recording this on a Saturday. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but... Uh, you are. So th this has been a sabbing day. Yeah, this has been a sabbing day. So... During the week, we mostly try to gather intelligence about what's going to happen on the weekend. So we need to find out where the hunts meet. And this might be surprising to your listeners because supposedly these hunts are hunting uh, legally within the, the, the remit of the law. So they're trail hunting, as they like to say. But on the other hand, they don't publish their, their meat to the general public. Look, if they're doing something completely within the law, as they say, why don't they tell the general public where they're meeting, what areas they're covering. If they've laid the trail, a legal trail of uh, fox urine or whatever they they try to come up with. Today, today they told us they were lay, they laid the trail of fox urine, which is um, another big thing we can talk about later. How to obtain fox urine uh, in this country, where considering it's illegal to extract fox urine in this in this country, you need it to import and you need a license. And if you get a license, that gets registered. Yet we can't find the registration of those licenses for these trail hunts. Anyway, back to the beginning. During the week, we try to find the, where the hunts are going to meet because they don't tell us, even though they're acting supposedly legally. 
and we take care of our equipment, you know, do things like social media. Uh, if there are new recruits that want to come with us, we try to kind of organize them. And or and then once we get the intelligence of where the hunt's going to meet, we either get this through tip-offs from the general public, from other hunt sub groups in our area. We, you know, have to make sure that everybody everybody gets to the right place at the right time. We have enough four by fours to carry uh, everybody. We have two uh, with a third one as a backup. We're trying to maybe get what, that one going for next season. And uh, and then we go out, SAB. That's usually on Saturdays because that's when people are available. And like what the hunt and hunt supporters say, we do have jobs. For the most part, they like to call us uh, unemployed and the unwashed and unemployed. I mean, after a SAB, I think it's fair to call us unwashed for sure because that's a lot of running <laughs> and a lot of sweating. But before, no. And uh, we do go out on a Saturday usually because that's usually when they meet and we you know, do, a, do our best to interrupt them, to keep up with the hunt, record evidence of them doing things they should not be doing, like, for example, uh, sending hounds into a cover or actually actively chasing a fox, for example. Although, to be fair, that rarely happens in front of our eyes because they try to be secretive. Yeah, and then we come back and do the report on what we did, try to get some donations to keep uh, the petrol tanks of our 4x4s full and, you know, to replace any lost equipment like radios or drones or cameras. And uh, next week, uh, the following week, we do it all over again. During the off-season, we obviously don't go out sabbing because there's, there are no meats to sab. But we do uh, try to keep fit. So we have like, a, at least in North London, Hansabs, we have a, a fitness group where everybody kind of tries to keep track of the miles we've been covering during the week and running and gym work and et cetera. So when the season comes around, everybody can kind of immediately start going, you know, like a sport, you know, as if it was yeah. a sport that only began in uh, late September and ended in, in Mar- late March. Julie and Mel, like I imagine from your point of view, there's going to be lots of similarities with, with your experience of sabbing now and in the, in the past. But because you have done this with different groups in different parts of the country, there there might be some differences. Like, is there anything that you want to add to that? For us, uh, I mean, I've been out today at, at the Cosmo. We're, we're into a five-year campaign against the Cosmo Hunt. So we've hit them absolutely relentlessly over the five seasons now. And so for us, it it's slightly different in that we're approaching this from the point of view that we're quite clear that our intention is to shut the hunt down. Uh, we're not just sabbing and saving lives. We are engaged in a campaign to close the, the Cottesmore hunt. I won't go into all the reasons why. There are very good reasons why we're doing that. But that's, I suppose that's a bit of a difference is that we concentrate on the one hunt. For us, I mean, today has been quite a difficult day. Um, some people will be aware, I think, on social media that we've now dealing with some quite serious violence over the last month. Um, the Cottesmore now employed um, some pretty, pretty unpleasant people. Uh, they were there again today, actually. So we, our weeks are, as soon as Carlos in a way, the same preparations are, are done. Our intelligence is actually pretty good. Again, I can't go into details, but over a five-year period, we have created a pretty good intelligence network which means we very rarely don't find them hmm. or even know where they can be. We, we mostly do. That is obviously something that hmm. has become a big problem for the hunt and has also led to the situation that we're currently having to deal with, which is this escalated level of violence that we're now having to deal with and actually had to deal with again today. But uh, all the other things, the, uh, the practicalities of uh, raising money for equipment, I mean, we recently had an attack on our vehicle two weeks ago which some, again, most in social media where these thugs use uh, armed with lump hammers, attack the vehicle, try to get us out. So we are constantly having to deal with uh, raising money to, to, for repairs. Equipment stealing is quite common. A lot of us have been assaulted and equipment taken. So the kind of fundraising thing is quite important because without it and the goodwill of the people who support us, and, and the goodwill is amazing, I have to say, the, the people that support us are unbelievable. But without that, we're going nowhere because the vehicle has to be kept running, fuel has to be bought, equipment has to be replaced, and damages have to be paid for. Um, so that's an important aspect. The social media side of it's always it, it's obviously an important thing because once again, that has no doubt enabled us to show to the world, as with other groups, exactly what is happening in the, in the in this country at the moment with a situation where you have something that is essentially illegal, but a small minority of people 
are just sticking two fingers up to the law and to the and to the majority of people in this country who don't want this. And the, so the practicalities are uh, what because you tend to think that you go out on a Saturday and that's it, you can relax until the following Saturday. Well, you know, that's not how it is. And especially when you're running a campaign like we are, we try to go out sometimes twice during the week if we can get people who can get a day off work. Most of us have got jobs. So the, the practicalities of keeping it at that level mean that actually running this campaign against the Cottesmore, we, I find that five, at least five days of my week now are pretty much overrun with this. And, and then on top of that, when we come home on a Saturday, you're tired and Carlos said it as well. You've got to write reports. You've got to do the social media. So if you can't just come home and go, it's over. You, I, I want to come home sometimes, just go to bed and forget about everything. Yeah. But you've got to sit down at the computer, maybe have an hour, we're going to have a beer or something mm. and straight back on getting all this stuff out because it's, it's vitally important. So what I would say about running a sub group or being a hunt saboteur, it isn't a one day thing. It's an everyday thing on some level. And don't forget the mentality of it's, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'll give you a personal insight. Last night, I knew, I was lying in bed last night and I knew what we were going to face today. I knew those thugs would be there. And to be honest, you don't sleep too good. You really don't. Because at any one moment, you may end up being attacked and badly hurt. And and you do have to take that on board. And, and we certainly have to with the Cottesmore because, you know, th- that's the level where, that it's come to with them. And so the kind of mental, if you like, the kind of mental strain of it is all the time. It never goes away. You have to live with it all the time. But having said all that, it's so worth it. <laughs> it is so worth it because being a part of a group of people that will go through that together to achieve, you know, an end to hunting, to think you can be part of a group of people like that is incredible. It's absolutely incredible to be around people like that. And I, I, I think that's one of the things that's always inspired me about animal rights generally, I think, is the kind of incredible people it throws up. It's It sounds like a fantastic undertaking that you're – that you're going through there and my goodness what what dedication you're you're all putting in it's that's remarkable julie is there anything you wanted to to come in with on on that any any differences in terms of when you've sabbed in the past yeah well i was a newbie i suppose and was still kind of not involved in organizing anything when covid happened and then the hunts weren't happening and then the hunt that i was sabbing packed up and went to england thankfully so is no more but so I was a bit of a lightweight once a week kind of sabber the geography and things were a wee bit different in Scotland though my closest hunt at the time was over 120 mile round trip away and it wasn't just one group that were going so I was going as an individual with one other friend And then there were two or three other sabbing groups coming from various parts of Scotland to hit this one hunt. They're just, we just don't have the same numbers, you know, so we're not working on a local level. So I would be leaving my house at five in the morning and I'd be out until probably, probably out for about 14 hours because by the time I drove to meet with my sabbing partner, and either got in his van or into my car and then drove to the meeting place and then with to meet the other sabs and then tried to get on a box to find the meat. Because the intelligence you get can only take you so far sometimes. Um, and it's not unheard of, or it happened to us a few times, that we would get false information and be told, you know, yep, they're going there. And, oh, no, they were not, obviously, trying to trick us. And they would do all kinds of things to fool us about, you know, so we wouldn't find them, you know, sending the hound van out the other way and we would follow the hound van. Things like that happen. So they're hard to find and they don't start till 11 o'clock. But, you know, by the time they're starting, I've probably been in a car either for six hours or we've managed to find out where the meat is and we've managed to get up to the woods and the places ahead of them so we can do some, you know, 
checking there's no earths being blocked so we can flush the foxes out so we can spray 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 everywhere you know to give the fox a bit of help before the meat set off and yeah so you and by the time I got home from all of that because when the hunt packs up you've still got a big long walk back to your car which won't be where you parked it it'll be moved somewhere depending on what's happened during the day it'll be dark because it's winter you've got to find your car <laughs> and then you've got to drive home so yeah it was it was a long day but yeah i'm a total lightweight it was only one day a week for i'm me. feeling more and more grateful for the fact that mel and carlos have joined us today after a day sabbing it, it sounds like an unbelievable undertaking yeah i'm just kind of blown away by it all it just sounds so incredibly intense and scary and uh it sounds like you're making them work really really hard which is good news but i just wonder carlos what are your biggest ups and downs from from hunt sabbing is there anything else you'd like to add or i've heard quite a few uh, from mel yeah. in particular about ups and downs as well yeah you know? and uh, i think i just wanted to come in because uh, there's been quite a lot said about how hard it is and uh, one of the things people, I think, people who don't hunt sab get wrong a lot about hunt sabbing is that they think it's like a macho thing. But I would say that in my group, and I think we might be one of the biggest in terms of numbers groups in the country, because we have about 20 people. In other groups I meet, it's mostly women <laughs> who, ha- who aren't sabs. So I don't know if it's a macho thing done by women, but you know, demographic-wise, it's mostly women I've come across hunt-saving. So, I mean, we, we, we don't go out to get into punch-ups with people. We, get, we go out as vigilantes. In the true sense of the word vigilantes, we just to watch and to intervene. Intervene as in trying to distract the hounds, etc. But nobody's going there to kind of grab a horse and stop it from running or you know, get into a punch up with a terrier man or anything like that. So those, you know, it's it's scary, but but there's clearly something we go out to do. And and the scary factor also varies because I've I've sabbed the Cotsmore, uh, which is Mel's favorite and exclusive. So I've sabbed the Cotsmore and I'd say the Cotsmore is probably the most violent hunt I've come across. Uh certainly more more violent than the ones we usually go to, which are in a kind of south east uh, Hertfordshire and Essex. Those are the hunts we go to the most. They're not nearly as violent as the Cotsmore. So it really varies. I mean, there's a hunt we some we sab sometimes when we get the intel. And they're like, I don't want to say their name because I don't want to even make people aware they exist. And and usually when they see us, they 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 just stop hunting. They just start kind of trotting their horses. Don't don't send the hounds into the cover. They just start behaving pretty much. Don't try to run away from us and then let just pack within one hour. You know, so that's like a, a really non-confrontational sabbing day. But then, of course, there's hunts like the Cotsmore, which now have hired uh, some goons to attack the sabs and uh, have traditionally been very violent. I mean, in my experience, because I've sabbed them as well, not exclusively, and they're extremely violent. Uh, as for the the downs, well, certainly the the big da- the biggest downer of them all is when a fox does get killed. That's like the the worst. You know, the the worst thing can happen. I've never seen it happen like in front of my eyes, but I've been in a sab where the hunt has killed somewhere else. And uh, I just, my foot team just didn't happen to be in close proximity, but I get told that they have killed. And that's like the biggest downer of them all. And then of course there's, you know, violence against sabs and, you know, material violence, you know, those are things that can be replaced, but you know, there there have been sabs, including you know Mel, who's on this call, who have been seriously hurt by uh, by the the criminals that call themselves huntsmen, and um, so those are kind of all the worst parts of it. I guess the good parts of it, I would say, uh, last season we hit the East Essex hunt twenty two times or twenty one times. Nobody's going to verify this number. I, I know it was like 21 or 22, but uh, we hit them like 21, 22 times. We had been hitting them since the previous season and they finally disbanded. And then this season, at the beginning of the season, after a sab, sabbing another hunt, we passed by their kennels. Uh, we might have taken a little piece of their sign, each one of us as a souvenir for the departed hunt. That's the sort of stuff we could do if we wanted to really take a trophy from a disbanding a hunt. Yeah, that's that's a really that's like really good when a hunt effectively disbands and 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 the hunts we the hunt we visited today are themselves an amalgamation of two different hunts who could not 
keep going by themselves. So they had to kind of, they were not strong enough because of being sapped constantly as well. So they kind of amalgamated into a single hunt. So that's like less chance, half the chance of a fox being killed if there's one hunt instead of two. So those are, I would say like the, the kind of the, the real things that keep you going is when you kind of, kind of finally get rid of a hunt and then you don't have to see some of those ugly faces anymore. That's absolutely amazing. Congratulations. So I think my biggest up was the day that my favourite sabbing partner and I took a whole pack of hounds off a fox. The hounds are utterly indoctrinated. They're actually very fearful. They get trained in a particular way so they do not dare disobey. They are cowering wee thing. Well, they're not that wee, I suppose. But anyway, they do what they're told. Otherwise, they get shot or they get hurt or whatever. So even if a complete stranger like me tells them to do something, if I get that silly voice right that the huntsman uses or their stupid wee noises they make that sound ridiculous, if I get that bit right, they will do what they were told. Even if there's a fox right in front of them that they are running after, they will go the other way if you say, if you infer to them and speak the huntsman's silly language and say, actually, it's not right in front of you, it's the opposite direction, you can turn a whole pack around and get them going the other way. So, Can you give us a sample it, now, Julie? I'm so not doing it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yes, they, they sound ridiculous. The Northwest West Hunt Sabs has got a kind of file online with all the silly sayings and phrases and noises and things. So that that was a real high. I think I think he had a little cry. I know I did. <laughs> So that was really nice. I It's not really one to say there was an up, but it was so funny in a way. I mean, it sounds a bit serious, but some older gentleman, shall we say, once pointed one of those big shotgun things right in my belly. <laughs> um, and... I didn't I didn't think at the time to say that, you know, is that a gun in my stomach or are you just pleased to see me? But I did just gently take a hold of the end of his gun and just kind of push it back. And I said, is this yours? I said, because I think you better take it back because somebody who prods me like that really needs to buy my dinner for me. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was kind of funny. And I just don't think he knew how to take that because he was expecting me to be very frightened by him and his silly wee gun and everything. But they're supposed to have their shotguns broken and all that. You know, if people are around, they should not have them the way he had his. So that was naughty of him. So that's the ups. The downs are just in general. I think just being in close proximity to people who are clearly living quite comfortable lives, fairly intelligent, and yet are living a total lifestyle and kind of creating an identity for themselves that is based on mindless violence and just that horrible feeling that nothing that anybody ever would say or show or reason with these people could ever get that out of them there's absolutely no reasoning with them they are absolutely a complete unreasonable law unto themselves I've actually in all the work I've done in all the years I've been on this planet I've actually never met human beings that are as intransigent and just entrenched in violence and killing as I met in among the hunt people that it's it's jaw dropping so that that really was an education for me and that was kind of a low in a sense you know yeah yeah thanks thanks julie mel can i ask you you've you've touched on this earlier like the hunt sub movement it's active it's dynamic it's it's responding to ever changing needs and so what the challenges and key issues that that face yeah, you yeah. as a movement 
they're going to change as well, aren't they? What what for you are the current hot topics or, or um, challenges that are that are facing the movement at the moment? Uh, again, if I talk about the Cosmo in particular, uh, but I think this applies across the board at the moment. I think politically, with an election coming up, I really do believe that hunting's facing the end. And it does raise issues for us as a movement to deal with it. And, and uh, we, we're, we're finding this with the cops. As I said, you know, they're increasing their levels of violence. They're increasing their levels of, of, of hired thugs uh, because I think they know as well. And it raises particular issues for us. We talk about this now constantly amongst ourselves that we believe that we're at the beginning of the end of hunting. We really do. And we're not prepared to let go until we succeed as a movement across the board. I think one of the things I was talking about today uh, when we were driving back after another particularly difficult day was how I, I would like to see, um, and, I, I, and I go back to my beginnings here in the animal rights movement, where the crossover between the Hunt Sab movement and the rest of the movement was very strong. People move fluidly between the two and, and carry the ethos of the Hunt Sab movement into the rest of the animal rights movement. I want to see some of that again now. I think because we're about to be gifted an opportunity, I think, to do some historic against fox hunting, but also for the whole animal rights cause, that we need to engage everyone at this moment. Uh, and I would like to see that happen over the, the coming months, particularly before the end of this season. I won't go into specifics, but I'm hoping we can engage that. Uh, I, I think hunting, in some ways, is probably looked on by, uh, and I don't, I'm going to sound controversial here, but that's what I am. I think sometimes the vegan movement looks on Hunt Sabin as almost something from the past. It's not really relevant to them anymore. But I, what I would say is that this issue, hunting, matters to all of us across the whole movement. It's been a thorn in our side for so long. And if you look at it in terms, in political terms, as well as direct action terms, as Carlos said earlier, consistently 75% of the public opposed to hunting for decades, even when it was legal. And yet still, still, these people are continuing to cause carnage. And they are, not just uh, to hunt sabs, but to people who live in the countryside. They threaten people. A friend of mine, only this week, who uh, who I help out, uh, she had some animals on her property, had to hunt on her land, trying to dig an earth out on her own property while she was there. And their attitude, they don't care. I tell you now, they were saying to her, basically, off. you know, we're in charge. This is on people's private properties. Uh, getting back to what the point I wanted to make, I think getting rid of hunting is important for the whole animal rights movement. It's, it's, just, it's an itch that we need to get rid of and move on to the other issues that, that need to be dealt with as well. But hunting must be dealt with by our movement. It must be. So... I'm probably going off on a bit of a tangent here, and forgive me. I do think it is vital, and I, I, I appeal to the whole movement, as as it was in the 80s, that help us to finish this now. And we can all then, all that expertise that you've got in all the SABs like Carlson, all of them around the country, everyone here, they have a mind of experience dealing with situations, team building, organising themselves to deal directly with animal abuse, hunting, that they will readily bring in to the rest of the movement, which is what I want to see as well. I, I, I don't just see this as separate. I see it's something we need to deal with. We can, I believe we're very close to doing it, but we have problems that we're having to deal with now just to get us over the line. So I hope that that can be achieved across, outside of the sub movement itself into the rest of the movement. And, and going back to what you asked me at the beginning, that's how I came into it. I wasn't. I, I came into the animal rights movement, became a hunt saboteur, and learned how to work with other people. And I, that's how. I, that's where I learned to really work with other people, trust them, depend on them, know they got my back, and I carried that through to everything I did. All right, as and always worked out perfectly for me, <laughs> but but I, I value that above all else. So again, as I say, I'm sorry for going off on a tangent, but um, if I'm if I want to get one thing out of this tonight is, is, to, uh, is to everyone who's listening, please treat the Hunt Sabs as part of the whole movement. And at this hour, at this time, when we really need you, please help us because you benefit from all the wealth of experience you're going to get from the Sabs 
it will be freed up, you know, to come back into movement. It'll be freed up from all this time it's taken from us. And it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. Yeah. We can do well, it. That's, that's really coming across in terms of the, the amount of skills, resolve, teamwork and time. The skill level, the skill, yeah, the skill level amongst the hunt saboteurs is amazing. I'm constantly blown away. I'm, a bit, you know, I'm six, nearly 64 now. But I'm blown away by these kids. I'm blown away by them in the field. You know, their use of technology to follow hunts. The, the way they organise themselves is impressive. But just imagine, you know, these people are there for the whole movement. You know, let's get hunting done uh, and get them back into the whole movement because then other things are going to happen. With it. Obviously, I haven't been subbing as, for as long as Mel. So I've only been subbing, what, for the past six years or so I've definitely seen a decay in the number of uh, hunt support, a number of riders in the field. So the, the the field are the paying customers who pay to ride with the hunt. So if, if there's no field, the hunt cannot operate because they don't have money to, you know, pay for kennels and and you know horse upkeep, etc. I mean, some hunts do have kind of private sponsors, but in general, I've seen like the number of paying customers going down, down, down. And generally. Like, for example, with the East Essex, which we was gone extinct, we definitely saw weekend after weekend the number of uh, field riders just getting smaller and smaller. And then we knew we were hitting them in their bottom line as well, which is important. So, yeah, I can, I can definitely feel it's it's about to disappear. But as most things who are about to disappear, there's like a, a like a death spasm at the end where there's like a big resistance and they just want to kind of be super combative and super try to force their way into existence and they feel threatened, you know, like a, I guess in like the corner of the animals they love to, to, to go after. So yeah, Mel is right. I mean, the, the, this is just the moment just to get it, just to get it done because I think we all, I mean, it's the camaraderie, et cetera, says very fine, but I'd rather do something else than being stuck in the mud during the winter, every bloody Saturday of my life. It, it is very unpleasant. Even when you're not being attacked by terrier men and other tugs, just the, just the, the the general kind of uh, conditions of saving are are not kind of the thing people want to be doing on a Saturday. I'd rather be doing other things related to animal rights, but I I really think this hunting just needs to get over and done with. I mean, the legislation might happen. The shadow secretary has been very vocal about tightening the hunting act. That could do it. And we could uh, here in the South could be like Scotland, but then of course the Sabs will still need to finish the job. I think. Because one thing is to pass like the hunting, like a tightened hunting act, but then you still need to, to have people there with cameras and witnessing and calling the police when when we see the the you know the, the rules being broken. That's that's still going to happen. But eventually, you know, uh, in a mix of legislation, and kind of vigilance from the SABs and police forces being forced to take the law seriously, instead of playing to their friends, uh, if they ride with a hunt, and there have been quite a few examples of that. Then I I really do think we're seeing a, a constant decay let's hope so let's hope so julie i know you you spend a lot of your time and thoughts looking at issues in scotland that are slightly different to this can you can you fill us in on those so we've got a slightly different legislation and we've got some quite new legislation as well called the hunting with dogs scotland act 2023 so we cannot hear legally trail hunt which you can do in England I believe um, so that's a big difference because we in Scotland accept that trail hunting is just an absolute smokescreen for hunting hunting but the legislation it sounded great when it first came out hooray you know that's it hunting's over in Scotland it's going to be banned la 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 but there's there are exceptions so they can still hunt with two hounds in certain conditions and they can still use more than two hounds in certain circumstances as well. It's definitely made it super awkward for them and much more difficult. They are still doing it, some of them. Some of them have adopted bloodhound packs and they are doing something. They can never call anything what it is. They've always got to have their own daft little language. Hunting the clean boot. So they put runners out and then the bloodhounds run where the runners have been, human runners. But So we're a wee bit further ahead, but I still find the legislation frustrating that it's not an all-out ban, but I just don't think that any party is brave enough 
to just say the whole thing is stopping. It is very contentious. They want to be seen to be doing the right thing by everybody. And you can't do that. You can't please the aristocracy and the landowners and some of the farmers and all that and the people who oppose it at the same time. But it almost feels like they're trying to do that. A lot of farmers have got a vested interest in the hunt continuing and they've got a lot of power. And I'm not talking about the people who contract farmland. I'm talking about landowners and things like that. They... They have a vested interest in the hunt continuing, sadly. Um, but yeah, we're a wee bit further ahead in Scotland, so it probably it would take less and it would be great if we could just put in a big final push and just get it. I don't think that the hunts will wait for the legislation to be watertight because I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I think they will just decay because of... Um, lack of support I think it'll come down to finance in the end, I don't think people's conscience isn't going to improve matters or anything like that, these people are not going to be brought round to a different way of thinking I honestly don't believe that but I think that it will just become, the this the hunt that I used to sab that was their cited reason for packing up was it was nothing to do with the new laws, it was nothing to do with the SABs, although we ruined their days out every time but they said it was purely financial. But their numbers were terrible, you know? They really were. It'll just get less and less popular I think. I'm feeling really inspired by everything you've been saying and to hear that the hunts many of them are in their death rows I mean amazing that's just wonderful and Julie I think you must be one of the only people I've ever heard of who's thought of that having a shotgun poked in her stomach is an up (laughs) it's a positive I don't think I'd take it the same way somehow but you know hey ho each their own hey but um anyway I should get out more eh? (laughs) anyway well done you fly me anyway I think probably like me and I think probably Anthony as well I'm sure there's going to be an awful lot of people who hear this and are incredibly inspired and want to become a hunt sab themselves and and are really looking forward to all you amazing people coming and and doing other amazing things within the the vegan animal advocacy movement when all the hunts disappear are blown away so how how can people go about becoming a hunt sab well you should find who's like your local your local uh, hunt sab group there's a quite useful map of hunt sub groups in the uh, Hunt Saboteurs Association website, and you can kind of go and find it out, or you can just look in social media. I think probably the most active social media right now for hunt sub groups would probably be Facebook. Happy to be corrected, but I think it's Facebook. It's the one that has like the most extensive reports, and I think every group I've come across has a presence on Facebook, and they will have uh, an email or a phone number to contact them, and 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 say so you just want to join as a as a hunt sab there's lots of things to do as a hunt sab it's not just running in a mucky field trying to distract hounds uh you could also become a driver for example so in that case you mostly just stay in your car you don't need to be particularly fit in terms of running you have to be fit in terms of being able to concentrate on driving a car um, and being blocked in and stuff like that Uh, or even violence uh for over quite a few hours on a day, which is a skill I particularly don't have, so that's why I do the running part. You can you can get involved as a navigator, so in that case, you need to be really good with maps and kind of being able to coordinate with other sabbing groups that are in the area, being able to coordinate with the foot teams, being able to because you know you're like in a privileged position where you're not having to run and and, and being out of breath, so you can just go okay. The hunt has last been seen here. I have this group here. I'm going to send them over there. I'm going to send that group. We'll pick up tell this group to go here where we can send the car to pick them up. So that's what sort of what a navigator does. Again, you don't need to be physically fit in terms of running for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, when I say hours and hours, I would say a typical SAB would be, I don't know, 15K to 25K, which is a lot if you think about running on flat tarmac and then you start thinking you're actually running with a lot of gear on you, hiking boots, which are not great for running, 
muddy winter, uphill, downhill, through edges, crossing ditches, etc., etc. You know, so that's a, a whole lot of other things. So if you don't want to do that, but still want to sab, you can be a driver, you can be a navigator, or you could be, for example, somebody who just does the fundraising for a sabbing group, or you could be somebody who just does the video editing for a sabbing group. Those, to me, those people are sabs too, not just the foot team sabs. And I say that as a foot team sab which is what I do. Amazing. Thank, thank you for that, Carlos. You've, you've, you've covered a wide range of things there. Mel, presumably there's there's other ways as well that people can can help out HuntSabs. I mean, Carlos has mentioned fundraising there, as well as people who are doing the fundraising in terms of promoting it. You can also give your money. Yeah. Like there, there's going to be other ways that you can support. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking of, of of sharing things online and stuff like that. What, yeah, ab- what other ways are there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all, all those things. Uh, but I would also add that I think, particularly as as we're all now alluding to, that you know we have a chance to to really make history here. That I, I, again, I, I'm asking people to get involved in other ways. I, I'm particularly keen on things like uh, we have a group now called Locals Against the Cotswolds. So these are local people who live in the area of the hunt. And the one thing that we've discovered is that the hunt cannot stand it if local people start becoming noticeable in their opposition. They really, really hate it. So I would like, again, to see that happening a lot more because that does us, you wouldn't believe how much that helps us. It's incredible. It really is. And and maybe, again, you know, uh, I'm thinking, I said earlier that, the rest of the movement and uh, uh, if if you want to get involved in some other way uh, apart from you know sharing the social media stuff which is all great consider setting up your own support group for the local sub so for instance who knows what might happen in, in the coming months but certainly I, I would like to be seeing demonstrations outside hunt kennels what would happen say on a saturday morning one saturday morning in the not too distant future maybe if the hunt people got in their vehicles and discovered that there was two, three hundred people at the end of the drive saying, you're not going out. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a part of the 75% of the British public who had enough of this. You're not going, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. um, so I, I would like to think to appeal to people to think be out of the box in supporting us. Do the things you already do because without your financial support, and the intelligence reports, we c- couldn't exist. So we already owe you a great deal. But at this moment in time, could you go the extra mile and organise yourselves into something that would put a bit more direct pressure on the hunt? Whether it's, as I've said, forming the locals against a, your local hunt, or maybe join, thinking of joining. For instance, I mean, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but we, with the Cottesmore, attend every fundraising event they have. So they have things called... Um, ironically fun rides and people pay it's about 25 pounds for each horse and they basically get to hack around a couple of fields in the leicestershire countryside but the 25 pounds they say what they do it it, it's done in a joint fundraising thing between the the hunt and the uh, air ambulance service but we know that almost all the money goes straight into the Cottonmore Hunt's coffers. So we hold demonstration at these events. Normally it's the SABs who do it as well as doing the sabbing uh, you know if people could turn out and help us with those brilliant so instead of seeing the same sabs outside they suddenly saw 50 people outside local people have saying and you know what we've had enough of you people we really have we're here on behalf of the majority of people in this country who don't want this anymore and i think i that's what i would love to see is, is that people who already you know that who know what we're doing who want this to end Think a bit, think a bit imaginative about what you could do. Get in touch with us. We we co- gladly coordinate that stuff as well. We already do. But but if if we could, I think particularly at this time as we're all we're all talking about, it could be the, the difference. It could make all the difference. And I think I believe it would make all the difference as well. You know, please um, think about this and contact us. You know, you know where we are. Where you, know, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram. We're always ready to listen. You know, we, we, we don't know everything. We really don't. We may be out there every Saturday leaning directly with the hunt and its staff and its supporters, but we don't know everything. We, we're good at what we do, but we do need your help. You know, we really do yeah. need help, especially now. So another way that people can help to disrupt hunts without having to go out and get involved in direct 
action and sabbing directly if they don't want to do that. Um, two things really. They can provide a lot of support by joining the Hunt Saboteur Association, which you can do through their website and pay the yearly subscription. You get a nice magazine that keeps you up to date with things, but those subscriptions are really helpful um, for funding the movement. Um, So that's one way. And the other thing is that Hunts rely on being able to gallop about all over the countryside and go um, beside a load of wooded areas and things like that to hunt foxes. And if you join any campaign um, to stop the hunt having access to certain pieces of land, then that really scuppers them. They need a big area to um, make it work for them. So from time to time, certain organisations like perhaps the National Trust will be petitioned to prohibit hunts from happening on their land. And they rely on public support, so they don't want to be going against public opinion. So you can have quite a lot of power over whether hunting continues in a particular area or not if you object through the actual people who own the land or um, are in charge of taking care of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I could go on having this conversation all, all day and into tomorrow, but we, we do need to bring things to it to close now. So I'm going to say a massive thank you to you, Mel, to you, Carlos, to you, Julie, for your time today, but but even more so for the direction that, that yourselves and many others do and for the countless innocent sentient beings that you're doing on on behalf of like an incredible act to do and and for people to support so thank you yeah amazing amazing and just a massive privilege to for me personally to hear what you're doing and the direction it's all going in it's just amazing just amazing and i hope lots of people are inspired i have been well we're having to leave things there for now however for all of you listening right now do get in touch with your thoughts on what we've covered in this episode and indeed if there are issues we haven't got to talking about today on the subject of hunt sabbing and wildlife crime do get in touch because this is not the last time we'll be covering the topic and we're keen to take the discussion to wherever you want to go yeah enough of the falafel at gmail.com is our email address we'll also make sure there's lots of contact details for the hunt saboteur association in the show notes so that people who want to contact the hunt sabs can do so as well and both organizations are on uh, on instagram as well as facebook too while you are composing your carefully worded email correspondence uh, to enough of the falafel at gmail.com, we'd also love to hear your views on next week's discussion topic where Alex and myself will be discussing the PAL World computer game. Is it a hotbed of animal cruelty or just a video game? Right. Thanks everyone for listening. Do please share the show, give us a review and anything else that's that lets us know you're out there and alive and listening. Our download stats show us there's lots of you, but human interaction is always lovely. We'll be back on Monday with all the vegan news and commentary in episode 39 of Vegan Weeks. So, until then, I've been Kate. I've been Carlos. I've been Mel. I've been Julie. And I've been Anthony, and you've been listening to Vegan Talk from Enough of the Falafel. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire and Flow Coffee Roasters. And they're such great people. They're offering all enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow, a specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil. 
and they specialize in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. Fire and Flow then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time, book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website fireandflowcoffee.co.uk. While you're there, you can check out the beautiful fully vegan coffee shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It's glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at Fire and Flow Coffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel 10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel 1 0.